church family that's in Connecticut and Oregon and Washington and Texas and Kansas and come on, give them a hand and tell them it's good to see you at Higher Vision. Did you know a couple weeks ago we had more people online than we had in the building on campus in the first service? So God is growing this campus, and we're glad those of you that are with us. Now, I like to start with something funny, and since we've been talking about grand opening, uh, I heard about a woman who was hosting a grand opening for her new business location. One of her longtime friends decided he would send her a wreath of flowers to garnish her office. When the friend arrived at the grand opening, he checked the wreath to make sure it, it was exactly as he ordered. And on the back, he looked, and it, and it said instead, rest in peace. Immediately got on the phone to complain to the florist about the terrible mistake. The woman on the other end paused and then she checked the computer to see what had happened. And as the man was getting more and more impatient, she kind of tried to call him down and just said, well, look at it this way, sir. There's a poor dead guy buried at a cemetery across town with the words on his wreath, good luck at your new location. We all got a grand opening coming one day, and it's going to be a good location, amen? amen. I want to read to you the verse in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. In fact, I want you to read it with me. We've been learning that God wants us to stand. So let's read it together. Everybody, here we go. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land but found no one. What a sad moment in the history of Israel. God was looking for someone who would stand. God's always looked for people to stand. Remember when Moses stood, he stood and interceded for the nation of Israel and God spared them. You see, Israel at this time, there had been so many years of disobedience that consequence was coming. Judgment was coming. I mean, know that if we live outside of God's plan if we sin that there's consequence and listen God is not a God who wants to judge but the reality is that he's a just God and as a just and righteous God he has to allow or bring consequence but I'm thankful that he's a God who's slow in anger and he's rich in mercy and so he sought for someone and here's the sad thing there was nobody nobody would stand and as we look at our country as we look at our homes as we look at our communities I believe he's looking for men and women who will stand up and believe. Because here's the thought. If you, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. So I want us to pray. I want you just to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Stir up a, a spirit within us that says, I want to stand. I want to stand not against something. I want to stand for something. I want to stand for God's truth. I want to stand for his will. I want to stand for his righteousness. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You may be seated. In week one, we learned that God wants us to stand for equality. We talked about how that God wants women to arise into their uh, place, not only in the workplace, but in God's house and in the church to use their gifts and callings for the kingdom. This week, we're going to talk about standing for revival. And I want to talk to you about what revival is and what it looks like and what God wants to do. And we'll, we'll spend time on that. But next week, I want to give you a little bit of a preview. Next week, we're going to talk about standing for life. Right now, we're in a season in our culture where there is a culture war going on with the concept of abortion. And, and, and how many know that children are alive before they come out of that womb? 
And right now there's legislation that's pushing an agenda to have laxer regulations where literally in some circumstances that, that there can be an abortion right before the child is born. In fact, and even in some situations, there's suggestions that as the child is born, if it's a, if it's a botched adoption or a, a botched abortion, that the child um, alive can die right there. They let it die. They don't, don't medically help it. And so there's a lot of things happening. And, and right now, I believe that God wants people to stand for life. He wants people to stand for the, the unborn, for the innocent. And so we're going to talk about that. What does the Bible say about it? Now, some of you, you, go, you I know immediately it may bring up um, sadness or things from the past. There might be people here that have had abortions. There might be people here that have pressured people to have abortions. And I want you to know something. I, I believe that the church needs to be a place where wherever you are, if you've had one, if you've pressured for one, if you, that this is the place of healing. This is a place of where God can restore and bring hope and renewal. And, and not only that, but that we begin to understand how that we can, in a righteous way, stand for the unborn, stand for those who are innocent. And so I just want to encourage you next weekend to bring people, bring people that have, been, that have gone through abortions, bring people that have pressured people with abortions, Be, bring people that don't understand abortion in life. Because we're going to talk about it. In fact, we're going to do this. This is what's really cool. Starting next weekend and the following weekend, we're going to sell tickets to the movie theater. There's a new movie coming out called Unplanned. And it's a story about a woman who, she was the, the head of a clinic for Planned Parenthood for eight years and oversaw 22,000 abortions. And God stepped into her life and radically changed her. And now she's someone who advocates for life, who advocates for the unborn. And it's her story. And it's unbelievable. We watched it with our staff here. And I wept through the whole movie. And here's one of the things I learned. Is that according to Planned Parenthood, 70% of, of abortions in America happen and the people on the form say, I'm a Christian. And 45% of people who had abortions attended a worship service in the last month. Can I tell you that we don't have to change any laws to stop 70% of abortions in America. We just need to educate people and we need the church to be a place that gets rid of the judgment so that people that have maybe made a decision and now are pregnant, they know it's a place that they can be counseled and encouraged and loved and given other options. And, and, and this needs to be a place of healing where people can be accepted and loved. Come on, somebody say amen. So you need to get somebody here, but here's what you also need to do. You need to buy tickets for yourself, for your family. You need to buy tickets for other people that need to hear this message. And we're going to Canyon Country. We're filling up two theaters on Sunday night, March 31st. And here's what we're going to do. We're selling the tickets for cost. So it's like 10 bucks. You can buy as many tickets as you can. Let's fill it up twice. And then after each showing, we're going to take an offering for the pregnancy center here in Santa Clarita Valley to help them because they're helping women that have made the decision, I'm going to make sure that this life lives its destiny and purpose and calling. So I want to encourage you. There's no judgment in this house. This is a house of healing and hope. So start planning to buy tickets. Start planning to come on March 31st, Sunday night. And together we're going to go there. We're going to be educated. And we're going to see it change in the church first. Come on, somebody say amen. Because if it changes in the church, it'll affect the culture. Amen? All right. So enough of the preview. Back to this week. I want to talk to you about standing for revival. What is revival? Well, the definition of the word revive means to recover consciousness. 
It means the renewal of interest. It means to flourish again. How many want to flourish? But I want to tell you what was old school revival. In, in, in my days growing up when it came to the church, when you thought of revival, here's what revival was. Revival was a bunch of services that you would have at night and people would show, come on, you went to revival services back in the day. Come on, we got some old school Christians here. And you'd go to revival and here's why. Because God was moving in, a, in a, a new powerful way and watch what was happening. In these night services, people were getting saved. Can I stop and tell you, it's a sad, sad connotation on the church that the majority of churches in America, when they turn in their statistics, here's what it says, no one got saved in their church that year. Most churches in America will see no one saved in an entire year. So revival was kind of this moment where people, God was moving and people were accepting Christ and getting saved. Not only that, miracles were happening. People were getting healed. Transformation was taking place. Um, um, lost children, prodigals were coming home. I mean, God was doing something miraculous. So you saw salvations. You saw miracles happening. And then the third thing was that dead Christians were coming back to life. The fire that had gone out was re rekindled and suddenly now they're passionate again for God and they're diving into a relationship with God. Well, let me just stop and say, I want to empirically declare that if that's what revival is, then revival has been happening at Higher Vision Church for almost 14 years. Come on, somebody say amen. Because every week, we didn't have to have special services. Every week, people are getting saved. That's why over 41,000 people have raised their hand for the first time, a recommitment, saying, I want to serve Jesus. Not only that, we're seeing miracles happen in those prayer lines on the side. All the time, in small groups and circles, people are laying hands on each other, praying for each other. We've got stories of people with cancer that have been healed. We've got people with tumors that have disappeared. We've got people with diseases that have disappeared. Why? Because God is a healer. It's happening all the time. And not only that, we hear testimony after testimony of people who come to this church and they're dead in their faith and they've lost sight, they've gotten hurt or they're, they're just going through the motions and now there's a life again, there's vibrancy again, they're reading the scriptures again, they're claiming God's promises again. Man, I tell you, it was prophesied and I declare it's true that the spirit of revival is alive and well at Higher Vision Church. Somebody say amen. I know some of you are like, how much coffee did Pastor Jared have this morning? None. This is all Holy Ghost caffeine going on right now. Whew, I got my Holy Ghost espresso on my way to church today. <laughs> so I want to define revival then. Because I believe that it's been prophetically declared that this is a church that is going to see not only the revival spirit that's here, we're going to see it grow. And it is going to be a place where people come. We've seen revivals in the past where people will go somewhere and get refreshed. Like I went to Brownsville Revival and I was there. I was a part of leading worship there. But here's the sad part of it. People all over the world, two million people from around the world came to Brownsville where these night services were going on. People got, you know, gave their lives to Christ. Um, they got renewed and refreshed. But the local church did not impact their city. In fact, the church almost fell apart when the revival was over. And I believe that God wants to raise up a new model because real revival is when the church, you and me, are alive with the spirit and fire of God and we're bringing salvation and hope and healing everywhere we go. Come on, somebody say amen. And we're seeing a city change. We're seeing a, a nation change. Come on, amen. So in this story, I'm going to use a passage in the book of Ezekiel that 
I believe is a picture of revival. So we're going to take a look at what revival is. And and the story goes like this. Uh, Basically, now let me say, when you interpret scripture, we learned last week that you can interpret scripture literally or you can interpret it figuratively. But it depends on what part of the Bible you're reading. Because if you're reading it more of a historical account, then you you go literally first. But if you're reading a part that's different, like a poetic or or, um, an apocalyptic or a a prophetic section, you gotta interpret it differently. So this passage, most theologians do not believe it was a historical event, but it was a spiritual experience. It was a vision or dream that God gave um, Ezekiel the prophet. Israel at this time was in a season, in fact, this is the same Ezekiel that we read in the, in earlier, a stand, he looked for someone. So they had been disobedient, they were despondent, their hope was gone, judgment was coming. And so God comes and begins to give them a word of hope for the future. Now there are four interpretations and what happens is God takes Ezekiel by the spirit and he brings him like in a drone over a valley. And he sees this valley filled with scattered dead dry bones. And then he says, I want you to to know, can these bones live? And he says, I don't know, God, you know. And so God says, speak to the bones. And the bones literally then begin to come back together. The flesh and come on top of them. They arise and stand up. And then God breathes into them life and they live again. And so here's the four interpretations that scholars have of this passage. One is that this is a um, a post-exilic prophecy of the exiles returning. So in other words, what that means is it was a prophecy of how that the children of Israel had been scattered because of their disobedience, but after 70 years, they would come back to Jerusalem. So some believe that's what the interpretation is. Another interpretation is this, is that it was an Old Testament example of the New Testament doctrine of bodily resurrection. How that Jesus' body was resurrected. How that one day you and I, when Jesus returned and the trumpet sounds, that our bodies are going to be, right, resurrected. So some believe that's what the interpretation is. Uh, Another interpretation is a dispensational interpretation, which is this was a prophetic utterance of the restoration of Israel as a nation. And in our modern day, the scattered bones, God miraculously brought them back together and gave them their country back. Now Israel is a nation in the world today. And some believe that's what this is referring to prophetically. The last interpretation is this, and that is that it's an analogy of the reviving of the church. It's an analogy of revival, of the church awakening. I personally believe that this passage could be saying all four. But I want to focus in on the revival because I believe that this is a picture of revival. It is literally a reviving. Come on, somebody say amen. So I want to give you four things that revival looks like. If we're going to stand for it, we need to know what it is. So if we're going to stand for revival, if we're going to believe for revival, if we're going to pray, what does the Bible say? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray, I will forgive their sins and I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So we're believing for a revival, an awakening. And so I want to give you the four things of revival. Y'all with me? Come on, somebody shout amen. amen. Number one, what is revival? Revival awakens new vision. Revival awakens new vision. So let's go to the story, Ezekiel 37. Here's what it says. The Lord, speaking by Ezekiel, is telling the story here. The Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. The point it's making here is that 
God grabbed a hold of him and showed him a bunch of dead, dead, dry bones. First thing that I want to just say is this. When was the last time God got a hold of you? When was the last time God grabbed a hold of you? I mean, you just couldn't keep doing what you were doing. You just couldn't keep walking in the way you were walking. But somehow God just grabbed a hold of you. And I'm going to tell you, when God grabs a hold of you, when God awakens by his spirit reviving inside of you, you'll start to see things that you hadn't seen before. The very first thing that happens is that he now starts to see this spiritual death, this, this national death. He starts to see that the condition of God's people is not where it needs to be. Kind of like this, you know. Not long ago, um, last year, we, we remodeled our kitchen. And when we went through this remodeling of the kitchen phase, well, let me just say, I didn't and we didn't remodel our kitchen. We hired someone to remodel our kitchen. And my wife said a big amen to that. Because if I would have tried it, um, well, let's just move on. <laughs> but what's interesting is within this remodel, you know, new countertops, we, we repainted the, the cabinets and we repainted the kitchen and the living room area. And it's interesting how that when you repaint one, one room, you start walking through the house and seeing things that you had become oblivious to. Come on. I mean, you're walking through the, the hallway and you're like, where did, wait, where, where did that come from? How long has that been there? <laughs> Who scuffed up the, right? Everywhere. Suddenly it's like, well, maybe we need to repaint the hallway too. And then you're in your bedroom and you're like, how, who did that? Because when this awakening, this renewing, this remaking begins, suddenly you start to see things that you weren't seeing before. Because when you're dead, you're blind. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan and, and Jesus said that there were these three people and a man had been beaten up and robbed and he's lying on the side of the road and what happens? The priest comes along, he's walking, I don't know if priests walk like this, but they probably, <laughs> imagine that with the robe and the swag with that. I mean. They're walking down the road, and what happens? They, he sees the guy on the side of the road, but instead of stopping and going, man, this is my moment to minister. I've been called to help people. What does he do? He goes around and keeps going. The Levite does the same thing. He was like this. I don't even know how to do a different one, so I, I look like I've got a limp as well. And he does the same thing. He walks by. But then the, the man from, Samaritan, from Samaria, he saw him. And I just, I wonder how many of us are like that. We walk by hurting people. We walk by sin in our own life. We walk by problems in, in our workplace. And, and it's because we're not living. There's not a, a life really in us. And God's wanting to remake us. He's wanting to breathe on us. He's wanting to revive us so that we start to see the things that we're not seeing right now. Come on, y'all with me. Reminds me of a story. There was a precious lady. I, you know, last weekend was the women's conference and it was great. I, I, I snuck in all weekend. <laughs> and because um, I wanted to kind of see what was going on. I, you know, I was excited because Haley was going to be speaking and, and um, Devette was leading. And I know she got up at one of the services and started giving prophetic words over people. And I was like, I wanted to get in the back in the corner and like, you know, watch it and film in. So I, I would sneak in and try to hide. People would see me, but they were nice still. 
And so one of the days I was on my way in, and it was the first night session, and, I, um, and my family had been here all day, so I decided I'd stop at, you know, uh, a spiritual place, uh, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and I would get some food and bring it to them so they could have some food before the service. And so I bought all this food, and it was one of those, you know when you buy way too much? And so you're trying to bring it in, and you should take two, two trips. So I literally had it stuffed, stuffed under my armpits and under my chin and, and I'm like carrying drinks. I've got a drink carrier and I'm walking through the parking lot. And as I'm walking through the parking lot, I, I hear some noise and I look over and I see, and there's a woman in our church and she's knelt down next to a car. The door is open and there's a young man in there and she's talking to him. And I'm kind of like going, hmm, what's going on? And, and as I, I'm walking by, suddenly she, she calls out and she says, pastor, pastor, get over here. And so I'm like, um, I've got all this food. And she's like, and, and she's bold. She's like, put it on the car and get over here right now. So I'm like, yes, ma'am. And so what I find out is, is that as I walk over, she later tells me the story that she'd been walking through the parking lot. And as she was walking through the parking lot, she sees this young man in a car. And the Holy Spirit suddenly grabs a hold of her and says, go talk to him right now. And so she did what most of us do. She kept walking. But then she said it was like the Holy Spirit grabbed her, stopped her in her tracks and said, you go over there right now. So she said, okay, God. And she turned around and she went over and she leaned over and knocked on the window. And the guy's like, he opens the door and says, ma'am, can I? And the young man at that moment was contemplating suicide. And so she knelt down and she began to talk to him. And she's like, God, help me. What do I do? And then suddenly the pastor showed up. She said, Pastor, get over here. And so I came over there and we pulled him out of the car and we, we began to speak to him, speak life over him. We began to pray for him. We began to, be, began to take authority over thoughts of death and suicide. And, and, and he promised us that he wasn't going to do it. And he promised us that he was going to get help and he was going to talk to someone. And I want to tell you, how many times are you and I walking through the parking lot of life with our Chick-fil-A caught up in life when what God is wanting to do is wake us up to see things all around us that can change hearts and lives. Come on, somebody shout Amen. Reminds me of that old Keith Green song. Do you see? Do you see? Come on, some of you, this is old school. Do you see all the people singing down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? But you close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Revival awakens our vision. Suddenly, we can't walk by that young man on the side of the road anymore. We can't walk by that young man in a car. We can't drive in and close the, the garage door down knowing that our neighbor's in the middle of divorce and struggling. God, awaken our hearts. Revival awakens new vision. Come on, somebody shout amen. Number two, write this down. Revival awakens our faith. Revival awakens our faith. Let's go to the next part of the story. Look what it says. So he shows him the dead bones, and then here's what he says. Then he asked me, God asked Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Can these bones live? Am I able to do a miracle? Is it possible with God? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. I want to stop right there for a minute and I want to say that 
I believe that what revival does is it awakens our faith to dare to believe for the things that we quit believing for. That revival awakens your faith to ask yourself the question, wait a minute, I know I've been in a bad marriage for a long time. I know I'm kind of in the back of my mind knowing that probably one day we're going to get divorced. When the kids move out, then things will happen. I I, I believe that it's impossible. I'm not going to change and I know he's not going to change or she's not going to change and we've, we've quit believing that it's possible. But what I believe when revival comes and the Holy Spirit begins to awaken your heart, suddenly you start looking at bones a little differently. Suddenly you start seeing things a little differently. Suddenly you start going, wait a minute, maybe with God all things are possible. I think when revival comes, suddenly he starts to look at you and and say it's time for you to address your doubt and your unbelief. Maybe you need to believe that I know you lost your house and lost your job and went through that bankruptcy or I know that your company almost went under but maybe you need to believe that you can own a home again. Maybe you need to believe that you can launch that business. Maybe you need to believe that you can actually have some retirement when that time comes. Maybe you you need to believe again that, that you can be serving in ministry. Maybe you need to believe, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, I'll never forget, um, going to Disneyland. How many know that Disneyland is not always the happiest place on earth? (laughs) Come on, when it's 105 degrees outside in the middle of the summer, And there are 8,552 people in front of you for Dumbo. Come on, how many know it is not the happiest place on earth? That's why people eat so many churros. Because we're medicating. I need a churro, right? Come on, let me know what I'm talking about. Now, don't forget going to Disneyland. And one of the things, if you go to Disneyland and you get in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, you go through, there's this one part where you will hear a pirate voice say, and I'm going to do my best pirate voice right now. Here's what he says. Well, yeah, I can do that one. Arr! Not too hard. But how about this one? Dead men tell no tales. I know, I got to work on it. I got to work on it. From the movie, Dead Men tell no tales. Dead Christians don't believe for miracles. Dead Christians don't speak God's promises. That's why I think in another story in the book of Genesis, look what it says. It says, remember Sarah? Years she'd been waiting for the promise. And how many times in our lives we've had a promise from God in years and years and years and it hasn't come to pass. And finally we just give up. And what does God do? He shows up and he says, Sarah, you're going to have a child. I know you're 90. It seems impossible. But you're going to have a child. And then she laughs. And then God asks a question that's really more of a statement than a question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You see what I think happens in the middle of revival? I think that God awakens your heart and he speaks to you and he says, is anything too hard for me? Is that trial too hard for me? Is that sickness too hard for me? I'm telling you that when revival comes, Christians, they come alive and they start believing for the impossible. They start believing in a big God. They start believing that God can change a city, that God can win a world, that God can heal the sick. Revival awakens our faith. I want to give you point number three, and this one might catch you by surprise. It makes sense that revival would waken our faith and that 
Revival would let us see with vision. But let's see the third one, which is revival creates lots of noise. Revival creates lots of noise. As we read through the story, look what it says. So he sees it. God says, do you dare to believe for it? And then he says, speak over it. We'll get to that in a moment. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling what? Imagine millions of bones coming together. Come on, you know the hip bones connected to the knee bone and the knee bones connected to the, the other bone and the, <laughs> I need to work on my anatomy. Come on. <laughs> noise. I mean, this is a massive noise that came in the midst of revival. And I just want to say it came across the valley. The bones of each uh, body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then I watched... As muscles and flesh formed over the bones and then skin formed to cover their bodies. All of this noise began to happen. I just want to tell you, when revival comes, so does noise. Now, let me just stop for a second and say, some people like noise, some people don't like noise. How many of you are in the category you don't like noise? You're in the same category as Pastor James. This week, I had a chance to spend about two and a half days with Pastor James. We literally were in Chicago, Kentucky, and Washington, D.C. In like two days, two and a half days. Um, I was there preaching to several pastors on church growth and church planning. Pastor James came and he was there helping me in ministry. We were ministering to people. And so when we got to our first place and we, we went there, um, I'd made the, the fatal mistake. They offered us two rooms, but I wanted to save them money. So I'm like, just get us one room. By the way, with two beds, just to make sure you know. It wasn't a king, it was two queens. That doesn't even sound right, does it? Okay. Sorry. God, don't let that go viral. All right. God is good, amen. So, so we, we get to the hotel and we go into the room and, and uh, you know, we're getting around and stuff like that. And, and uh, so basically, uh, I'm like, hey, we need to get to bed. We've got this session tomorrow. And, and um, so we go to bed, turn off the lights. And the next morning, when I wake up, James is gone. And then when I see him, he's got like big bags under his eyes. <laughs> he looks tired. I'm like, Pastor James, you okay? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, you sleep okay? He's like, no, not really. I didn't really sleep that good. And then what was crazy is then, then that later that day when we got back to the hotel, he was all excited. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, well, they had ended up having an extra room. And so I'm like, well, why don't you just stay here? You're already, you, know, you don't have to unpack. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to go ahead and do it. I mean, it's free. So he's all excited and he's just quickly getting his stuff together. Like afraid I'm going to talk him out of it. And, And I realized that the reason that he didn't want to share a room with me is because when I sleep, I make too much noise. Come on, do we have any men that know how to make some noise in the house? In the middle of the night, scaring off the bears, amen. Some people don't like noise, and some people do like noise. Like, I'll tell you the people that do like noise, it's the people that their kids move out and then suddenly hear them say things like, man, I wish I heard all those screams. The house is so quiet. Man, I wish I heard my kids fighting. <laughs> you know? 
And I want to tell you something that I believe that when God begins to move in your life, there will be noise. Sometimes the noise God causes. Why? Because he's realigning things. And when things get realigned, it makes noise. You can't move things around in your house without making noise. Don't take a nap when you're moving things around in the house and changing the furniture. Sometimes in the process, God begins to make some noise because he's aligning things. Sometimes the devil will make noise. Because he doesn't like what God's doing. What does the Bible say? That the enemy comes like a roaring lion. So he's making noise. He'll start speaking into your heart. He'll start speaking into your ears and trying to get you to stop the process that God has begun of renewal and change and transformation. There will be noise. But the question is, what are you going to do? Because there's a story in the Bible about this. There was a man named Peter and God was, and I'm going to tell you, when revival comes, often God will take you to new places and new levels. And so God began to stir um, by the spirit of God, Peter, to go to a new level. And so he was going to jump off the boat and walk on the water to Jesus. So what does he do? He starts the process. And as soon as he starts the process, comes the noise. The wind starts to blow and it's like, oh wow, that's so loud. And then the, 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 the ocean is splashing, the waves are splashing and, and you can hear the noise. And what happens? Because of the noise, he gets distracted and he starts to sink. And, and what will happen is in the process of noise, if we're not careful, rather than moving towards God, we start moving away. And I want you to know that when revival comes, understand that there's going to be some shifting. There's going to be some new things. There's going to be some different things. Sometimes you have to open your heart and your mind to something that maybe is new to you that you haven't seen before. But I want to tell you something. When God begins to let the noise come, when the noise begins to sound, don't move away. Move towards him because he's about to realign something and bring something to life that will transform you and take you to places you've never been before. God, we want to stand for revival. Come on, somebody shout amen. Maybe that shift for you is that when God awakens you, suddenly now you're going to go, okay, change. I know the change. I'm going to actually, I'm going to serve and spend more time in God's house. Might have to play golf once a week instead of twice a week. Or I might shift something in my life so that I can lean into God more. You know, I might give to the kingdom and make God first with my finances and instead of consuming all the stuff I love, I might say, God, I want to shift. And it may make a little noise, but God, I'm going to move towards you rather than move away. Come on, somebody say amen. I'm going to give you the last point. Revival awakens new vision. Revival, it awakens our faith. Revival makes some noise. Here's the last one. Revival awakens our voice. Revival awakens our voice. Ezekiel 37 verse 4 says this. He sees the bones. His faith is challenged. God begins to to move. And how does does the, the miracle start? Then he said to me, what's that word right there, the first one? Come on, everybody say it. Speak. Speak. Verbalize. Voice. A prophetic message to these bones and say. I just want to say there's a principle right there that when you get in the middle of your circumstance, when you get in the middle of your situation, when you get in the middle of your battle, you don't go quiet, you speak. Verse five, said, look, I'm going to put breath in you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. 
I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. I was really excited during the women's conference because I had a chance on Saturday morning to hear my daughter, Haley, um, speak. She had a message that she was sharing. And here was the, the, the name of her message, Words Left Unsaid. She began kind of with this concept of, you know, have you ever been in an argument or in a debate and when it was over, you didn't feel like it went as well as, well as it should have? Maybe it was even like a big disaster. How many have ever had that happen? Or maybe you felt like you totally lost. I mean, sometimes the, you know, debate isn't about who wins or loses, but, and so she said, and then what happens is like an hour later, you're like, you think of the three things you should have said. And you're like, oh, if I'd have said that. Newman, you know what I'm saying? It's like a little Jerry Seinfeld reference there. And she said, went on to say that, you know, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And how that when we're in this battle and the enemy begins to speak the lies and make the noise, often too many Christians leave the battle with words left unsaid. They've listened to the enemy rather than speaking to the bones. And she, in her message, she had two points. One was we need to uh, adjust our perspective. And the idea is that a lot of times when we're in the battle, we need to, the Bible says that when you go through trials, consider it pure joy. And how that God is using it to strengthen you and to work his will in your life. And so how that we need to adjust our perspective. And then she went on to talk about, and point number two is this, and that is adjust our language or change our language. As I began to think about it, I realized a lot of Christians are struggling in defeat. They're still dead in their faith. And here's why. Because they're leaving words unsaid. And they're getting defeated on the battlefield. God wants you to stand. And so I, I, as I began to read, I, I, as I saw this battle, I found some interesting correlations of standing and speaking. Let's take a look. Ephesians says this. It's talking about we're going to face a battle. The enemy's going to come at you like a roaring lion. There's all these things that are going to take place. And so here's what God says we're supposed to do. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to, what's the word? Stand. Stand, Stand your ground. And after you've done everything to what? Stand. Stand. Let's go on. And it goes on to tell us how. You stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. In other words, we're not going to just stand against things. We're going to stand for God's truth. Amen. We're going to be girded up in his truth. And then it goes on to say, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So we're standing for truth and we're standing for righteousness. We're going to stand in righteousness. And then it goes on to say, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Your foundation is the word of God, the, the truth of God. And then it goes on to say in the next verse, it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. So in other words, the offensive weapon, all the rest have been defensive. Everything else is defensive. But God says you also have an offensive weapon, weapon for when you're in the battle. And what is it? It's called the sword of the spirit. Now that's kind of an ambiguous thought. What is it? Do we stand in the middle of our prayer time and grab an imaginary sword and swing it around as we're praying? No, here's what the sword of the spirit is. It is the, what's the word? Word of God. 
How many know that a word is not just meant to be read? A word is meant to be spoken, to be voiced. And so what I think the the principle here is that what God is trying to teach us is that there are going to be times when you're in the middle of the battle and the problem is too many Christians lose the battle and are depressed and discouraged and take a step back. And here's why. It's because they leave words unsaid. So what God wants you to do is in the middle of your battle as he awakens your faith and revives your spirit when you get in the middle of that challenge and suddenly um, you start to hear the voices of the, the noise of the enemy as you're, as you're kind of thinking about your neighbor who's in the middle of their divorce and everything's falling apart. Now he starts speaking to you and says, hey, you know what? Your marriage isn't very good and you've tried and tried and just nothing's changed and you know things are never gonna, you're probably gonna end up just like they do and what we do is we just think about it and sit and we soak and we sour and then we get more depressed but instead, rather than just letting the noise defeat us, we arise up and say, wait a minute, here's what I think. What God has joined together, let no man separate and speak his word. Problem is we have too many Christians with their sword in their sheath and they've never used it. Maybe when you're looking at your financial situation and you've been honoring God with the tithe, but suddenly, boom, the enemy jumps in your ear and says, you know what? You got bills coming up. You're not going to have enough. Is this really God's plan? Is that Old Testament? Maybe instead of being fearful and afraid, maybe you rise up and you say, wait a minute. My God said that he would supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Maybe when someone is whispering at you and talking about you or your family or a decision you made. Maybe you're in leadership and and, and suddenly that that noise is stirring up in your heart and suddenly you're starting to go, whoa, no, what am I going to do? Do I need to go put something on Facebook and defend myself? Instead, something rises up within you and you say, wait a minute, no weapon formed against me will prosper and every tongue that rises up will be silenced. This is the heritage of all the saints. Let me tell you, what would happen? If Christians would leave the battle and not have to say, I left too many words unsaid. Because I believe God has a word for your situation. Somebody like, Pastor Jerry, you're kind of pushing the envelope theologically there. Well, let's, how about we talk about Jesus? Because Jesus was in the middle of a battle, 40 days. And the enemy shows up and says, you're hungry? Turn that stone into bread. And what did he do? He went, The word of the Lord says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The next time the enemy comes against you and you feel defeated, you need to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me and called me. Greater is he. And how about this one? All things work together for the good to them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Come on, somebody say amen. Anybody got a sword? I'm ready. <laughs> I'll end with this. We, we were believing for a new building. And uh, after praying, we literally, uh, an opportunity came to have a property that was zoned to be a church. It was very expensive. It was one of the only places in town. They brought it to us and said, hey, you can buy this for a good price. We prayed about it and I felt like the Lord said, that's not your building, pass. So we passed on the building and I'll never forget some of my prayer team members, they looked at me, they're like, Pastor, what are we gonna do? That's the only place. And I'm like, God has got a place for us. So then comes along an opportunity to get this building. 
Everything was in place. I mean, the, it was a miracle. The, the numbers they gave us, the price they gave us, the timing they gave us, the favor, all of it. We were all excited. I was getting ready to share it with our church. And then the phone rings and the noise started. Sorry, Jared, but the deal is dead. The person bought the building back and the blah, blah, blah. Long story is the deal is dead. That's exactly the words he used. The deal is dead. I'm like, well, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know what you're going to do. I I don't have anything for you. So he hung up the phone. I went to my prayer meeting the next Tuesday. I told told the prayer team, and I'm like, guys, the guy said the deal is dead. And then something rose up in me. It was like the noise that the enemy was, was whispering into my ear suddenly started to get quieter, and God's voice started getting louder. And here's what the Lord said. No, that's your building. And so I spoke it out. I said, guys, this is our building We're not giving it up. I don't care if the deal is dead. If something's dead, we serve a God who can bring it back to life. So I said, we're not giving up. I said, in fact, we're gonna go claim that building. We're gonna declare that that building belongs to the Lord. So we literally drove in our cars over here at 6 a.m. and we walked around this property seven times. It's a big property. (laughs) And we laid our hands on it, not to pray that the walls would come tumbling down. We need the walls. But we literally laid our hands on it. And I remember with my mouth out loud declaring, God, this is your property. This is your building. And I claim it in the name of Jesus. You've spoken to our hearts. And we prayed over it. We spoke it. And then we kept moving on and we kept praying. Two months later, a phone call came. And you're sitting in the miracle of of a victory of how that God can revive something that was dead. What is dead that needs to live? I want you to close your eyes.